0: Hi there, I'm Ginger Rousey and this is Call of the Week. After a short hiatus, we are back, ready to bring you weekly updates from our UT Crop Specialist on topics that are important to you right now. This week's episode will focus on the recent announcement that six pesticides have been approved for use on hemp in Tennessee. The list is a mixture of fungicides and insecticides. This is the first time any pesticide has been deemed safe to use on hemp, so in many ways this is a big moment for the industry. But what are the real-life impacts these particular products could have on insect and disease control in hemp? And to answer that question, we have entomologist Scott Stewart and plant pathologist Heather Kelly on the show. So, Scott, we'll start with you. Just what are your initial reactions to this list of pesticides?
1: Uh, It's pretty hard to get excited, to be be honest. Uh, You know, it's, it's products that you know, I'm pretty familiar with, uh, they've been around for a long time, at least some of the insecticides that I'm familiar with. And and some of them do have some efficacy. Uh, I would like to say right off the bat, this is not a list of products that the University of Tennessee recommends because we haven't made that decision yet. And we have to do some data review to really see if they provide efficacy first of all, and, and whether that efficacy justifies the cost of those products, because some of them can be pretty pricey. And you have to keep in mind, this is a new industry, and there's some cases we have pest problems that we're not even 100% sure how much damage those pests are causing. There's a couple of ones that are causing problems that are pretty intuitively obvious, I think, when you look at the plants. When the plants die from a spider mite infestation, <laughs> you know it's a pest. So there's some things we do know, but uh, this is something we're, ter- we're learning.
0: So the, the pesticides on the list, uh, not necessarily a game changer, if, according to you.
1: <laughs> well, and I, I don't want to uh, poo-poo anything. <laughs> but one of the products, for example, is uh, a product called, uh, I think it's called Azmax. It's azidirectin. Mm-hmm. It comes from a neem tree, or it's an extract from a neem seed. And neem oil has been around a long time. And azadirachtin is a component of, of neem oil. And you can use both, potentially, on, on hemp. And they really act differently. If you got the oil, the oil can actually act as kind of like a soap or a, a suffocator. Mm-hmm. But as a Diractin does have insecticidal activity, it's, it's not a bulletproof product. It has very short residual. You apply it, it, it can have some control. Whether or not it's gonna be effective in a hemp system, particularly in a field environment remains to be seen. Again, very little bit of d- data out there. Uh, The other products that are on there are really what I'd call insecticide soaps or insecticide soap-like things, and and they've been around for a long time. People may have heard of Safer's Insecticidal Soap, and they essentially act as a suffocant almost and they have some activity they can be used in houses and greenhouses pretty readily but you're essentially trying to coat the plant or really coat the insect and you have to get direct contact with the insect and suffocate it if you don't it, they don't have any residual activity so when you're dealing of acres and acres of hemp the volume you have to get out and the coverage you get have to get out in a field environment doesn't make them very useful
0: sure Heather, um, to you and looking back at 2019, talk about the big pest issues that you saw, be it insects or disease.
2: Right, and so University of Tennessee did do some variety trial work with hemp and uh, as well as just scouting fields and taking farmer's calls. And so the biggest disease that we knew was a, a yield robber is the southern blight. Um, it, you'll notice the plant just wilting, and then when you look at the base of the plant near the soil line, uh, you'll see the actual fungal growth. There's nothing you can that we found that would do anything to suppress that. It's, you have to carefully remove that plant and the soil around that plant, make sure not to spread it across the field um, because there's nothing that we found that will actually recover that plant. Um, and then on insect-wise, definitely corn earworm. Uh, is just, while again it hasn't been directly uh, measured, it's really obvious in the field. It causes a lot of damage It uh, eats on the the flowers, the buds of the plant, um, turning them brown. And a lot of times this year, too, any of the rot that we did see in in the flowers or the bud were kind of a combination of after cornea worm damage. Um, And then it's still just sitting there, though, after it died. And then whatever the worm hadn't fed on that was right below that, you would have sometimes fungal growth grow in there. That I think was kind of a uh, aftermath of just having that dead bud sit on it where the worm fed and also then pooped mm-hmm. on, on that flower. Um, and so we did find um, later maturing varieties in this past year had less corn earworm damage, but that doesn't mean that's going to be the same trend year after year because it's really dependent upon moth flights. And I know Scott can speak more to the biology of that pest and how many generations it can have in a year and, and when flights occur mm-hmm. and can vary.
1: It does vary. Corn earworms of course a famous pest and it's a problematic pest to control. We deal with it in cotton, we deal with it of course in corn and in soybean. And just to to Heather's point, just because you see a variety has less one year doesn't mean it won't have it next year. I can take the same variety of corn and plant it on two different dates and one one date may get a lot of infestation and it depends on when the moths are around and what else is out there that might be attracting them. But Uh, So I think that can lead you down some false roads. Uh, Normally we would suggest avoiding late maturity because populations tend to be higher later in the season, but that doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes the earliest thing gets hammered just because it is the only thing out there. Uh, The other one I've had phone calls about, uh, especially in the greenhouse, but also in the field is spider mites. And there's some other mites that can get on hemp, too, is my understanding. But it's been spider mites, and they're just notoriously difficult to control. Uh, Dr. Kelly has some hemp in the greenhouse right now, and... And it's a challenge to keep spider mites under control. Uh, neem does have, or this has a product, does have some activity on them. But by itself, it's probably not going to be adequate. So in a greenhouse, you have some options. You can use some of these biological type insecticides, but you might have to supplement with releasing uh, predatory mites. Uh, that gets pretty expensive, and it's very difficult and challenging to do in the in the real world, you know, when you got a 20-acre field of hemp. The other thing is that as a direct might actually kill the predatory mites. So you have to think about how you deploy the mites and how you make the spray so you don't have negative effects on, on the beneficial mites.
0: Right, and I guess that's the thing with hemp because it's so new, we don't have years and years of data as we do with other crops and, and just from it, not just insecticides and mm-hmm. fungicides, but really the whole gamut of the production. So this year moving forward, I mean, do, will you see more hemp related research in your programs?
2: Um, I know we have a working hemp group within University of Tennessee, uh, going forward from last year, a lot of the same researchers looking at different angles of hemp are continuing some of their research. Um, our department, entomology and plant pathology have a graduate student coming on board that is just working on hemp as well, um, but focusing on the corn earworm in particular. And so I think there's a lot of research going on at UT, but it is not, um, as much as could be because there's no funding for that research right now. It's very interesting, it's a new cropping system and definitely there's a lot of information that's still needed. Much more questions Mm -hmm. than answers so it gets researchers excited but unfortunately too though we need support to help continue those efforts and right now Um, that's, you know, there's nothing there really to to go after to help fund those efforts. So everyone's just doing this best they can. Right, right.
1: Well, so, you know, as the market builds and we get more experience and more testing, I think you'll see new pesticides come on that have some, have some better activity. I mean, there are some pretty good uh, insecticides that are labeled for the organic market that work on the corn earworm. Mm -hmm. Some of those have already been tested and they're really the only things that work very well. I'm speaking of a product called Entrust, which contains an active ingredient, spinosad, but it's not labeled on hemp. Uh, Dr. Kelly actually tested a virus, an MPV virus, a product called Helogen last year uh, that we've got some experience with and actually using in field crops with some good efficacy. So I think there's some options out there that are very friendly and I think acceptable to everybody, but we got to get those labels. You have to get them labeled.
0: Do you think there's a chance additional pesticides could be approved before the 2020 crop season?
1: Well, last year I made an effort to get that Helogen product uh, approved under what we call a 24C, and really Department of Ag didn't respond. Kentucky actually got that label very late in the game last year, which sets a good precedent. Uh, It's a naturally occurring virus that kills the larvae, uh, so it's very biologically you know, uh, nice attributes, you know, has no human activity, no toxicity to people, or really anything other than the target pest, which is the corn earworm. And it naturally occurs, so you're not really worrying about the residues anyhow. So I feel like we got a good chance of getting that done, but may have to make a couple more phone calls this year. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, alternative pest control, with, uh, in addition to these these pesticides that have been approved. Scott, earlier, before we started recording, you mentioned trap cropping, things like that, or, are those things you're recommending when people call with questions?
1: No, I'm not recommending it, but I am kind of recommending some folks maybe give it a little try. And Dr. Kelly's a good example. Uh, she's got a patch out by her house. She's growing really for ex- experimental reasons, and of course she had a lot of corn earworms there. And we discussed the idea of planting corn, in particular some of the the BT corns that kill corn earworm around there to essentially trap. I don't know if it's going to work but corn is highly highly attractive to the corn earworm. so if it's silking at the time that the hemp is actually flowering I, my suspicion is those moths will go to the corn mm-hmm. instead of the hemp uh, there's some other things you could plant sorghum or some other highly attractive crop and spray it, but that requires a lot of management. So I think she's actually planning on messing around with some of that this year, but there's no data to prove that's going to work. It's just kind of an intuitive guess right now. It's
0: again, something you're trying out. And Heather, as you mentioned, is a registered grower, and you've done a lot of work with hemp just personally as well as professionally. You're actually going to be speaking at a hemp forum tonight. We're recording this on Tuesday, January 14th. It's at the West Tennessee Ag Research and Education Center. It starts at 6.30, and that is a free meeting. So if you're listening before time, you know come to that tonight. Heather will be one of the presenters. But in your work with, with hemp, and, and like I said, you, you do so much with it, how, are, how would you describe the outlook of Tennessee hemp growers at this point? And are they still as optimistic as they were at I the start of 2019? they still
2: very uncertain, not okay. only just because of the market, but you have the new USDA rules right. coming out right now. Um, that there's still, it's still not ex- exactly clear what all those implications are in that ruling as well as then still just a, a unstable market. I know a lot of people um, are still holding on to their 2019 harvest because they haven't found anyone mm-hmm. um, that's interested in buying it yet and I know some of the um, production facilities that were up and coming still have not come to be yet um, for extraction and, and things of that nature but um, in general the Uh, Kind of the industry of hemp, though, a lot of uh, strong support for it. The growers are definitely for it and behind it, and they they want to make it work. But uh, as in anything in its infancy, there's going to be some ups and downs. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Scott.
1: Well, you know, you just mentioned other kind of controls, and you know, the reality is there's probably going to be some things we just can't do. Other than make a good healthy crop and good healthy crops tend to tolerate insect damage or diseases uh-huh. better than unhealthy crops. And I think that's an, an approach and you just got to get the mindset that we are going to feed some critters, uh, but we hope to produce enough surplus to, <laughs> to use the product ourselves. and And that's always been true. Yeah.
0: A lot of questions still about hemp, but uh, I do appreciate you all being here and answering these about uh, the new pesticides and then just a kind of an outlook on hemp in general. Again, Mm -hmm. Heather speaking tonight, January 14th, at the West Tennessee Ag Research and Education Center. If you want to come out to that hemp forum, you and along with some other speakers, you're not the only Mm -hmm. one in the program. Mm -hmm. I think Danny Morris will be talking on economics and, and a representative from the Department of Ag. Thanks you both for being with us and thank you all out there for listening to Call of the Week. We'll talk next week.